for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Lake Church. Hallelujah. Man, it's been a great day already. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We're going to continue uh, our new series, Master Class, this morning. So I'm going to be talking about a different aspect of Jesus in the Old Testament. So the first week we had the promised seed, who we know was Jesus Christ. Through his finished work, he made us also the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the same promises that he gave Abraham. Amen. You know, a lot of people think, well, Abraham was an heir of the nation of Israel, but that's not true. Paul says in Romans 4 that Abraham was heir of the world and that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. The reason why is because all the scriptures are not about a people, but they're about a people who represent a person. And that's what we got to get is that all of the scriptures reveal the person and the work of one person, Jesus Christ. It's all about him. Amen? It's all about him. That's why the things that Jesse was reading uh, from the book of Revelation about the worship in heaven, man, the crowns that the elders have, their rewards are not for them to just wear them around, but they're for them to cast at the feet of, of the one who enabled them to do the things that they did in this life. It all goes back to him. And so I love this story in the book of Luke. And I told the whole thing my first week. So I just want to read one verse, but just to kind of set it up. After Jesus was raised from the dead, a couple of his disciples were walking along the road from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus. And they were talking. They were all upset and troubled because... Even though Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to die and be raised again, they didn't get it. So when they saw him die and saw him buried, their hopes were dashed. They thought he was going to come and deliver them from the the Romans and set up his kingdom, you know, in, in Israel at that time. So their hopes were dashed and they're walking along just talking about how depressed they were. And Jesus walks up beside them. And because he was in his resurrected glory, they didn't even recognize him. And so he began to walk with them, and he didn't say, hey, it's me. (laughs) He just began to walk with them, and here's what the Bible says that he did. It says in uh, Luke 24, 27, Then he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself, throughout the scripture see that's the key to really knowing the Lord is you know him through his word that's where a lot of people miss it they think they can have a relationship with Jesus through worship and really you can't even worship right unless you know the word they think they're going to have a relationship with Jesus through worship through the gifts of the spirit None of that stuff is even operated in right unless you have a foundation in the Word. In fact, the Word of God reveals the living Word. And faith comes one way. By hearing. And and hearing by the Word. Yeah, yeah, you can't even have faith without the Word. That's where a lot of people miss it. They're trying to have faith from their flesh. Like, I'm just trying to believe. 
I'm just trying to believe. I'm trying to work up my faith. Listen, you can't work up your faith, baby. Faith comes to you. Faith happens to you. Faith isn't something you do. Faith is something that happens to you when the Holy Spirit unveils Jesus. So the written word reveals the living word. And here's the great thing. Not just the living word to you, but the Holy Spirit came to, to reveal the living word in you and through you. Yes, amen. <laughs> because where is he now? He's in you. That's the revelation of the whole new covenant is that God isn't visiting his people anymore. I said it's not about a visitation. So many believers still have this old covenant mindset where God comes and spends some time with us and he goes back home again. (laughs) They have a visitation mindset. That's Old Testament. God came to his people, he left. He came, he left. But in the new covenant, the revelation is not visitation, it's habitation. God has come and made his home on the inside of each individual believer. And that's what Jesse was saying, that our individual ministries are really about the larger ministry. Here's something that the modern church has missed, is it's not about your ministry. Oh, my. I'm getting completely off my message. I'm blaming it on you guys. You guys are pulling it out. See, Jesus, he came to bring about a corporate revelation of himself. And when we move from I and mine to us and ours, that's the language change that we got to have, then Jesus can really be glorified. When we start trying to lift ourselves up, then we're in the position to have Jesus lifted up in our midst. And that's only going to happen if we get right with the Word. So he went through Scripture. That's the way we're going we're gonna to see Jesus. And uh, he started from the beginning... And explained the writings of Moses. That doesn't mean he went to Exodus where Moses was was born. He went to Genesis because Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. In fact, God dictated them to him on the mountain. Because these things happened before he was ever here. So God sat down with Moses and told him everything that had happened before, you know, uh, before he was even here to see it. So he dictated it. And from uh, the writings of Moses and all the prophets showing how they wrote of him and revealed the truth about himself. He showed them how I I am the promised seed. I am the seed who would crush the head of the serpent. Remember we talked about last week? He said, you'll bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And in one act, both the heel of the Son of God was bruised... But the head of the serpent was crushed in that one act on the cross. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So he went through and he revealed all of the things about himself. And then last week, Pastor Greg talked about the right hand, the right arm, the strong arm of the Lord. You know, it said that he, he looked about the whole earth and there was no one. There was no one who could bring about salvation. The Bible says so with his own arm. You know, that's, that's not talking, you know, human terms about God. That's talking about Jesus. He is the right arm, Amen. the righteous right hand of God who brought about the salvation and redemption of all people. 
Amen. So he goes through and he begins to tell and reveal himself in the Old Testament. You know, that's the way we need to look at the Old Testament. So many saints have this old covenant mindset where I'm looking at all the things that I got to do. Rather than looking at all the things that God did and then identifying with those. Man, that's the way that we're supposed to look at the Old Testament. We're supposed to unveil Jesus just the way he did to his disciples. So that we can see what he has done for us. And we can identify with that. And then we can begin to partake of and enter into what he did for us as a people. So we had the promised seed. We had the right hand. Today we're going to look at the kinsman redeemer. So that comes from a word gola in the Hebrew, which means kinsman. And you know, in the Old Testament, God said that a people, the people and the land or the inheritance all belonged to him. You know, he gave it out as a portion and inheritance to his people, but he said it belongs to me. So if anybody sells it, You can't sell it permanently. It's going to come back. In the Jubilee year, everything was returned. Every man back to his own possessions. That means if you were sold into slavery because you couldn't pay your debt, or you sold your, your land, your inheritance off, it wasn't gone forever. It didn't belong to you anyway. You didn't even belong to you. That's another revelation the New Testament church needs to get. We don't even belong to ourselves. When I came to Jesus, I gave up. I didn't have life anyway. We were dead in our trespasses. People say, I gave my life to Jesus. You didn't have life to give. (laughs) The gospel is he gave his life to you. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead in your sins. And he made us alive together with Christ. Raised us up together with him. And made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's meant to do something in your heart. That changes the way that you see and you view life. And you begin to act. Out who you truly are. Amen. Not doing to become. Doing because. And we've been, we've been taught religiously so long that we've been, everything we do, we do it to become. Rather than doing it because of who we are. Mm. And we've had a lot of help misunderstanding, I can tell you that. (laughs) We've had a lot of help misunderstanding. So Jesus wants to reveal himself to us through the word. So that we can have faith, true faith, true Bible faith. A faith that affects our heart and then ultimately affects our, our life and the way that we live. So I want to talk about, we're going to kind of have Christmas in April. <laughs> we're going to have Christmas in April because really the kinsman redeemer reveals to us the, the reason why the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came so that he could redeem us. But there are certain qualifications laid out in the scriptures, uh, certain requirements for a, for a redeemer that had to be met. See, as I said earlier, if you got sold into slavery or you sold off your inheritance, isn't that what happened to Adam? Adam, by his choice, sold himself into slavery to the devil. And he gave up his inheritance. Because God had given him dominion over the whole earth. 
But it still belonged to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So he couldn't sell it off permanently. But in the Jubilee year, everything was released back. But in, you know, what if you sold it off when you were 20 at the beginning of a Jubilee? That's 50 years. You'd be 70 years old before you got out of slavery or got your inheritance back. So there was a, there was a thing that could happen a kinsman, a close kinsman, a brother, could come and if he had the, well, I don't want to give it all away. He could redeem you out of slavery. He could pay a price. He could redeem you out of slavery. He could redeem your inheritance back to you like that. But there are a few requirements. So the first requirement, and you find these in the book of Ruth, which... I thought, man, I want to go in the book of Ruth, but I never get to all the stuff I need to say in the short amount of time that we have. So you can go read the book of Ruth. Only four chapters. That's your homework. Go read the book of Ruth. See if you can find this in there. I'll give you a clue. Boaz is Jesus. He's the Redeemer. So you can go find that and you can study that out. But the first requirement of a Redeemer is that he must be a kinsman. He's got to be a family member. Not anybody could come along and just pay the price of your redemption. They had to be related to you. You know, they had to be related to you. And so that's why Jesus came. Oh, man. It's all about family, really. Him becoming flesh and dwelling among us was Him becoming human. And a part of the human family. Oh, that makes Christmas a whole lot different, doesn't it? And he came so that he could be a family member. Let's look at this. uh, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11. It says, Jesus the Holy One makes us holy. What a statement. What it means, the word holy means set apart. We were singing that earlier. And, uh, you know, when we talk about that God is holy... Most people think purity, and he is perfectly pure. But he's always been pure. He was, is, and always will be. So, you know, it's not like someone who was not pure and they became pure. What it really means is he's distinctly set apart, meaning there is no other God like our God. No other God compares to our God. No other God is good like our God. No other God is righteous like our God. No other God is just like our God. No other God is loving, forgiving. No other God is giving like our God is. Amen. Amen. And so he makes us holy. He sets us apart through our faith in Jesus, which means that now our life is not our own. Why? Because we've been bought with a price. He set us apart for a reason. He brought us out of something so he could bring us into something. But the first thing was is that he came and as sons and daughters, we now belong to his same father. So he is not ashamed or embarrassed to introduce us as his brothers and sisters. Jesus is my big brother. (laughs) So when the devil comes around, I just... Got my big brother right here with me. You want to pick, you want to pick a fight with me? You got to deal with my big brother. And he goes, "Oh man, I don't want to mess with him again." He remembers this. <laughs> yeah. 
The point is, is that Jesus, in taking on flesh, he became a member of the human family forever. That's why the Bible says that any spirit that doesn't say that Jesus came in the flesh is a lying spirit. Because the whole foundation of Jesus' ability to bring redemption was that he became a part of the human family. He met the first condition was that you had to be a kinsman. Jesus is my brother. He became flesh, dwelt among us, became a part of the human family. For he has said, I will reveal, now he's talking to God, I will reveal who you really are to my brothers and sisters. And I will glorify you with praises in the midst of the congregation. Since all his children have flesh and blood, so Jesus became human to fully identify with us. He did this so that he could experience death and annihilate the effects of the intimidating accuser who holds against us the power of death. I love the King James. It says that he came to destroy the devil. He came to destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. He came to destroy him problem is he didn't the word destroy doesn't mean actually annihilate like that says it means to render powerless doesn't mean he's a non-issue because he really is but the only way that he can have access to bring destruction to your life is through your own ignorance not understanding what the word says and his whole point his whole objective is to hide the word from you If he has to distract you with other things so you don't get into it, well, that works. Because, listen, you can have something that fully belongs to you and not know about it, and it won't do you one bit of good. And you can have something that belongs to you and not know how to partake of it, and it still won't do you any good. So his number one objective is to hide, to veil your eyes. To keep you from understanding. To keep you ignorant. That just means not knowing. Man, if he can keep you in the dark. And that's what darkness represents in the Bible. Ignorance. That's why it's called the kingdom of darkness. Because that's all he has. The only way that he can overcome a believer is to keep you in the dark. So you can't fully see what Jesus has already done and already provided for you. Which is the first step to partaking of it. So... Jesus came to destroy him and held the power of death, which is the devil. And by embracing death, Jesus sets free those who live their entire lives in bondage to the tormenting dread of death. For it is clear that he didn't do this for angels, but for all the sons and daughters of Abraham. If you look at this in the original language, what you find is it says that he took on the human condition permanently that he didn't do it for angels see angels fell but he didn't come to bring redemption for angels those angels who rebelled against God they are forever separated from the Lord but Jesus became a human being permanently for the very purpose of being able to offer himself as a sacrifice in death What was that? He was paying the penalty for all sin, for all men, for all time. So that he could put sin away by the offering of himself. 
Man, I tell you what, that is awesome, awesome stuff. So he became human being permanently. He became a part of the family. He fully identified with you. Jesus felt the feelings of our infirmities. He was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. He knows what you're going through. He's felt betrayal before. He's felt pain. He's felt, um, he's felt being mocked. He's felt being ridiculed. He's felt what it means to be hungry. He's felt what it means to be alone. He's felt all of the feelings of our infirmity. And so now he can be compassionate toward us. Because he has been a human being just like we are. Now here's the good news. He fully identified with us so that we could fully identify with him. Oh man, I love this phrase. I can't remember who it was that said it. But someone said one time that the son of God became a son of man. So the sons of men could become sons of God. (laughs) Hallelujah. Yeah, he fully identified with us. So that he could become human. Do you know there is a human person at the right hand of God. Woo! He's my brother. He's not ashamed to call me brother. Why? Because we are. We are fully identified as family. Look at this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. See, that brings me uh, to the point of his death as it was a ransom. All men were born slaves. We're all born slaves. Adam sold us into slavery. People say, well, I'm just doing my own thing. Well, that's not what the Bible says. I used to say that. I remember saying, man, I'm just going to live my life the way that I want to live it. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm gonna... You know what I found out? Ephesians says I was being led about <laughs> by, the, by the, lust, the desires of the flesh and of the mind, by the prince of the power of the air who now works in the sons of disobedience. Why? We were all sold into slavery. Just as I said earlier, we were all sold into slavery and we lost our inheritance. We lost our ability to live in the kingdom of God and live the way God designed us to live and created us to live. We were outside of our inheritance. That's what it meant when Adam left Eden. He he left his inheritance. Separated from the presence of God. And his purpose, which was to have dominion as a king, as a representative of the heavenly kingdom, he lost it all. Well, I wouldn't say he lost it, he gave it away. Look at John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus became human, so he could qualify, first of all, as your kinsman. So he could become your brother. So that he could become a member of the human family. So he could fully identify with us. Number two, he must be free himself. You know, a slave can't deliver a slave. They're all in the same boat. That was why God said he looked for a man, but he found none. 
There was no one. Job cried out about that. He said, oh, that there were a daysman. One who could lay his one hand on God and one hand on humanity and bring about a reconciliation, but there was none. There was none to be found. Oh, that's what Jesus is. He's both God and man. He's the daysman that Job cried out for, the one who could put one hand on God, one hand on humanity, reconcile. What's that look like? Reconcile and bring them back together as one again. Amen. Through his death on the cross. He must be free himself. Hebrews 4.14 says, So then we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailties. He understands humanity. For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way just as we are. And he conquered sin. Man. That means as a believer, when you sin, you have one representing you at the throne. Oh, come on now. Do believers still sin? Is that right? (laughs) We don't try to. Why? God's changed our heart. We have a new heart with new desires. But we haven't arrived yet. Maybe you have. I don't know. (laughs) If you are, I want to come back there and touch you. (laughs) But now, even though all of our sins were forgiven, now even when we miss it, we can come boldly to the throne of grace because we have one there seated at the right hand of God. And because he is a a human being and has experienced our life as a human being in the flesh, he is able to be a sympathetic and a faithful high priest to us. So now it's not a throne of judgment, it's a throne of grace. We find mercy and we find grace to help us in our time of need. Why? Because our big brother, Jesus, who felt every feeling of our infirmities, was tempted in every way as we are, yet conquered sin, rose again and is seated at the right hand of God, representing us before the throne. Oh man, I tell you what, we can't lose. We just know. Hallelujah. No wonder the devil wants to hide this stuff so bad. Hallelujah. Look at this verse. Jesus speaking. On the night before he was arrested, the night when he was arrested, he said to his disciples, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Talking about the devil. And he has nothing in me. What did I say? They have to be free themselves. When the devil came, he had nothing. I, you know, I, I think of it like most of us said, they ain't got nothing on me. They ain't got nothing on me. But Jesus said, they ain't got nothing in me. Oh, come on now. That's the way Wendy said. When the devil's going to come, but he ain't got nothing in me. Come on now. He ain't got nothing in me. <laughs> he ain't got nothing in me. Why? Because I'm, I'm redeemed. I'm a new creation. I'm born again. I'm united with Christ. I'm one spirit with him. Hallelujah. You say, man, that's, that's awful bold. Well, 
If you know what God says about you, just agree with Him. One reason people don't understand that is because they're still looking at themselves on the outside. This isn't this isn't me. I'm a way better looking than this. <laughs> I mean, I know I look good, but come on. <laughs> You're looking at the outer man. He's perishing, but the inner man, he's being renewed day by day. Day by day. Hallelujah. You're looking at the wrong thing, man. That's what we got to get eyes to see through the word. I'm one spirit with him. He's the fairest of 10,000, man. There's no one that compares to him. He's altogether beautiful. I'm beautiful. I'm like Muhammad Ali. I'm pretty. (laughs) You just got to look right. (laughs) You got to know what you're looking at. But when the devil comes, you got to say, he ain't got nothing in me. You got to get there, man. You got to get to where I don't care what temptation comes along. He ain't got nothing in me. Mm. You got to know. What, the reason why is because Jesus was without sin. He was able to be the perfect sacrifice. First of all, he's our brother. He's our kinsman. And then he was a free man. He wasn't a slave. He was outside of our slavery. I talked about it last time. That's why he was born of a virgin. That's why he was born of a virgin. Because he was able to not have the Adamic nature. The blood comes from the Father. Yes, he was born human through Mary. But, but Joseph wasn't his dad. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary. and She conceived in her womb a holy thing. A human, but a holy human. Oh, man, that's why in the book of Hebrews, Jesus says, uh, he said, sacrifice an offering you didn't desire, but a body you prepared for me. God prepared himself a body. He prepared himself a sacrifice so that it could be offered up unto God as a redemption for us so that we could be born again, so that we could be made sons of God, so that the devil could have nothing in you. Mm. Uh, listen, the reason you're still falling to temptation because you don't know who you are. The more you know who you are, the less the devil's going to have on you. Because he ain't got nothing in you. Listen, you live out of what you believe about yourself. The book of Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. But the devil also blinds us with the religion and keeps us going about trying to do, 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 do. And we're blinded to all that Jesus has done, 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 done. We're still trying to become. Rather than living out of the because. Right believing leads to right living. Right believing leads to right living. I identify with him. Listen, in your mind, you're either identified, you may not think of it this way, but you're either identified with the old man in Adam or you're identified with the new man in Christ. I tell you, that's how the devil had nothing in me anymore in regard to addiction. 
I got a revelation. I'm a new creation. I'm the son of God. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How's the devil going to come and tempt me? That's not who I am. I remember, man, I used to think, man, I guess I'm just always going to be this way. I guess I'm just an addict. I guess I'm just a drug addict. I guess I'm just destined. I used to say that stuff. In my mind, you're talking to yourself too all the time. Stop and take a listen. You'll know what you believe. I used to say that stuff to myself all the time. I believed it. I believed it. Those were lies of the enemy. I'd taken on what he wanted for me. But it wasn't who God created me to be. And then one day I discovered that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. I found out that when Jesus died on the cross, I died there with him. And the old man that I was in Adam was put in the ground. And when Jesus rose again, I rose with him. A new creation. I rose with him the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God can't be addicted to drugs. Man, it was just a new identity. I, I just begin out of my inner man. I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I just begin to say, I'm not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not destined for destruction. I am not a criminal. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am a new creation. I am born again. I am a son of God. Hmm. And I'm telling you, the things that used to afflict me fell off of my life. No, not by my willpower. I had none. I proved that for 20 years. (laughs) Not even fear of prison could stop those things. But man, when I found out who I truly was, to do drugs would be outside of my true identity. Mm. Number three. Hold that a second. I got it. I got to tie my shoe. I felt it. <laughs> I'm going to get excited. I'm going to trip over my shoelace. <clears throat> Number three, he must be willing to pay the price. He must be willing. You know, if you read in the book of Ruth, there was a closer kinsman to Naomi than Boaz. So he had the right of redemption. So Boaz went and he said, hey, if you're going to redeem them then you got to take you got to take Ruth too you're going to have to marry her he said whoa <laughs> nope he said I can't do it because at first he said oh yeah I'll redeem it hey I want that land I'll take that land and he said well whenever you uh, redeem the land you're going to have to take Ruth too he said whoa I can't do it wasn't that he couldn't he, he wasn't willing to Jesus listen to this Jesus didn't redeem you because he had to he didn't just feel sorry for you oh come on now (laughs) he didn't just feel sorry for you he's passionately in love with you the Bible says because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It was his love. It was his nature. God is love. He doesn't love us because we're lovable. He loves us because he is love. Romans chapter 5 says that he demonstrated his love for you. 
Isn't that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you? He didn't do it because he had to. Listen, who could ever twist God's arm and make him do something? (laughs) Who's going to lean on God and threaten him that he's going to have to bring about redemption? He's going to have to die on the cross. No, he was fully willing to. In fact, I think about it like in the, um, in the Gospels, there was a, Jesus came down from the mountain and there was a leper, which leprosy was symbolic of sin. And the way that it eats away at you, that's what sin does. This leper falls before Jesus and he says, if you're willing, he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Amen. Well, he knew that he could. He just didn't know if he was willing. Oh, man, this is one of my favorite stories. Because what happened is Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the leper. And you know, nothing happened. He said, I'm willing. Boom. Why? Because he knew that his, answer, his, his question was answered. See, most believers, they know that God can. They just don't know if he's willing or not. And it's crazy on this side of the cross that we would ever doubt it. Oh, come on now. It's crazy that we would ever have a question of whether God's willing to do something in our life or not. Come on, it's crazy that we would ever doubt his goodness toward us. It's crazy that we would ever doubt that he would, his will toward us would be for good and not evil, blessing, not curse. He said that in the Old Testament. <laughs> it's crazy that we would ever think that God would decide to heal some and not heal others. It's crazy. Come on now. Come on. Mm. Don't say that, Kevin. He's got to be willing. But most believers don't understand. They know he's able. They just don't know that he's willing or not. He demonstrated his willingness in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're living on the other side of a finished work, looking back at Calvary. We're looking back at the place where Jesus bore our sin and bore our sickness and defeated Satan and delivered us from slavery. We're living on the reality side of it. We're not let Jesus is the substance of every shadow of the Old Testament. Everything that God showed us in type, showed us in picture, showed us in shadow in the Old Testament. Jesus is the substance of it. He's the reality of it. We're looking at ourselves when we should be looking at Him. <sighs> yeah, victory. Hallelujah. We are living in the victory of Jesus Christ whether you realize it or not. And he, he was willing. Listen to this. This is what Jesus said in John 10. I surrender my life. No one has the power to take my life from me. Do you know the Romans didn't kill Jesus? It wasn't the nails in his hands or his feet. It wasn't the scourging. It wasn't the, any of that. That's not what killed Jesus. There was no sin in him. He would have hung on that cross for eternity and never died. There was no death in Jesus. He said, no one has the power to take my life from me. You remember on the cross where Jesus was hanging, he said, 
Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I have the authority to lay it down and the power to take it again. This is the destiny my Father has set before me. Jesus was willing. He was willing. He submitted to. He submitted to it. He, he, said, he said himself, I have the, uh, the authority to call 12 legions of angels to come and deliver me out of this right now. You remember in the garden, he said, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but thy will be done. Jesus submitted to it. And I know this is just a movie. I know this is an artistic representation. I love in the, power, in the passion of the Christ, when they take him to the cross, he crawls over. I think this is so powerful. Demonstrate. He, he crawls over to the cross and turns over and lays down on it. Right, that's exactly what Jesus did. He submitted himself to death on our behalf so that we could freely receive his life. He was willing. Oh my goodness, if he was willing to provide the greatest act of redemption when you were a sinner and in rebellion and ungodly, how much more? How much more? That's what Romans 5 says. Go read it. How much more? It actually says we were ungodly, we were helpless, we were sinners, and we were enemies of God. And in that condition, he demonstrated his great love for us. And you know, most, a lot of Christians, they think this, well, yeah, but now that I'm a Christian, God's dealing with me more. No. Paul goes on, he says, now much more. <laughs> much more. It's the much more love of God. Think about how much he loved you when you were an enemy, ungodly, sinner, and helpless, that now you're actually a born-again son of God and a new creation. You've taken on his life. You've taken on his identity. You've taken on his DNA. Much more. I said much more. <laughs> much more. Hallelujah. Number four. He must be able to pay the full price. Mm. This whole idea of legalism, that's what, that's what the Judaizers did. Well, you've received Jesus, but now you've got to keep the law. Uh. Let me see how to say this. He paid the full price. A lot of believers are trying to trust in the price he paid and add their price to it as well. A kinsman redeemer had to be willing and he had to be able to pay the full price of redemption. Look at this verse, these verses in Psalms. I thought these were amazing. It says, they trust in their treasures and boast in their riches. Yet not one of them, though rich as a king, could rescue his own brother from the guilt of his sins. Not one could give God the ransom price for the soul of another, let alone for himself. Wow. I'm going to read that again. They trust in their treasures and boast in their riches. Yet not one of them, though rich as a king, 
could rescue his own brother from the guilt of his sins. Not one could give God the ransom price for the soul of another, let alone for himself. A soul's redemption is too costly and precious for anyone to pay with earthly wealth. The price to pay is never enough to purchase eternal life for even one to keep them out of hell. You know why? Because Leviticus tells us the life of the flesh is in the blood. He said, I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. By what is required to redeem a man's soul? The life of another. The blood of another, which represents the life. Because the wages of sin is death, so somebody's got to pay it. Oh, man. Listen, for a sinner to die for their sin is just justice. If for me to die for my own sin would have no redemptive value whatsoever, I'd just be getting what I deserve. And God is just. He requires it. He can't just... What just means he does everything legally... He crosses every T and dots every I. He doesn't just sweep your sin under the rug and say, we're not going to look at that. I know you did that, but that's okay. I love you, baby. We're not going to... No, 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 no. He's just. That means he's not going to bend the rules for anybody. He's not going to bend the rules. He required blood. The problem was for us to die for our own sin would just be justice. But thank God the other side... See, the the throne of God is righteousness and justice. Oh, man. God, in his infinite wisdom, he provided a way for him to remain just, but also provide righteousness. I don't think you got that. He said, there's no man who could pay. The price is too high. They've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And for them to die would just be justice. They'd still go to hell. They'd still be eternally separated from me because they're just getting what they deserve. So what did he do? He became flesh. Dwelt among us. God prepared a body for him that he might present it in death so that he could pay the full price for our redemption. And listen, the blood of God was worth every man's life who ever lived, who lives and ever will live from now to the end of time. His blood, so precious... Mm. There's no other way you're going to be redeemed except through the, blood, through the trust in the blood of Christ that was shed for you. Look at this in First Peter. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish, without spot. Spotless, blemished, unblemished, innocent, lamb of God, presented on our behalf with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish, without spot. He was able to pay the full price of redemption for every person. 
That's why righteousness is a free gift. It's not something that you attain. We, we know that. Most believers say, I know I can't earn it. But then a large section will go, well, I got to maintain it, though. Nonsense. You couldn't attain it. You can't maintain it. In fact, if, if maintaining it is, requires your performance, then you didn't receive justification. You received probation. <laughs> you know what probation is? We're not gonna, we're not gonna, uh, we're not gonna charge you, or we're not gonna require from you right now. We're gonna withhold judgment, and as long as you can walk the line and keep everything straight, then we'll let you free on the other side. That's what a lot of believers believe. I get in now. I've got to keep maintain. I'm on probation with God. I got to follow all the rules of probation. If I don't, hmm. am I saying we shouldn't live right? No, I'm saying we should live like who we are. But it's the it's the grace of God revealed in the gospel that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. That is the source of the ability of the Holy Spirit to begin to live out of your true identity. Because listen, the devil's going to come and challenge you on that. You think you're a believer? You think you're a Christian? You think you're a son of God? Look at the way you live your life. You're not perfect. How can you be righteous? That's what the devil's going to say. You've heard his voice. You've heard it. What are you going to do with that? Oh, you're right. (laughs) He's going to say, I saw what you did. What are you going to do? Say, yeah, guilty. You're right. I'll take... I'll take my punishment. Or are you going to stand up and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Look at this. For in the Son, all our sins are canceled. How many? We're talking about from God's side. Okay? All our sins are canceled, and we have the release of redemption. Through his blood. Released from what? Released from slavery to sin and Satan. We were born slaves. But the the redemption provided by the blood releases us. Oh, come on, somebody. From the (laughs) slavery to sin and slavery to Satan. See, not only did he, he free us from the penalty of our sin, but he freed us from the power of our sin. Hallelujah. Man, I'm thankful for that. It was my sin that was killing me. <laughs> Man. So let me show you. Oh, man. Well, time flies when you're having fun. I'm going to give you real quickly three things. That he redeemed us from. First of all, our innocence, or he redeemed us too. He redeemed our innocence in the sight of God. Look at this scripture. This is in the Passion Translation. By the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. Woo! I mean, I'm innocent in the sight of God. 
I might not be innocent in your sight, but I value what he says more than I value what you say. (laughs) Innocence in the sight of God. You know what innocence isn't just your sins were forgiven, but that you're now righteous. Come on now. Because you can have your sins that you've committed wiped away and still not be standing righteous before God. Righteousness means that you are as you ought to be. We talk about uh, righteousness being a positional truth, and that is true, but I don't really like that phrase because it's not just a theory or a principle, it's a reality. I like to call it spiritual realities. In, in spiritually, in the eyes of God, because of the blood of Jesus, I am innocent in his sight. You go on and read a couple more verses. He said, he presents us unto God, uh, holy, blameless, and above reproach. <laughs> I don't present myself that. Jesus presents me holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Oh, man, we got to get a hold of that. We got to get a hold of that. Second thing that he redeems us to is our identity. I mean, I tell you what, when, when Adam fell in the garden, we all forgot who we were. And you live out of what you believe about yourself. The Im- we were created as sons made in the image and the likeness of God. That never changed. We just lost sight of it. The image of God was distorted in man. Our our view was distorted of who we were. That's why people are going around trying to identify with this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing and trying to find themselves. Listen, when you find him, you'll find you. Why? Because you were made in his image and you were made in his likeness and you were made by him for his glory. That's where you're going to find yourself. You're going to find yourself in him, in the book. Jesus said this in Hebrews chapter 10. He said, in the volume of the book, it's written of me. That's where you're going to find you at, in the volume of the book. Oh, man. He redeemed our identity to us. Look at this. And so that we would know for sure that we are his true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my father. You are our true father. Listen, uh, you are not, you have an earthly father, but your true father is your heavenly father. In fact, your heavenly father loans you to your earthly parents for a little while. But when it really, when we really find out our true identity is when the spirit of God, when we begin to Yield to the Spirit of God on the inside. He's going to cry out, Father, you're my true Father. You know, Jesus, the only thing the Jews didn't know God as before Jesus came was Father. They knew every redemptive name. They knew him as provider. They knew him as healer. They knew him as victory. They knew him as all of those things. But when Jesus stepped on the scene, he said, My Father and your Father. He came to reveal to us that God is our Father. Mm. You know, when he said that, they wanted to kill him. 
That's what religious people, they get mad at you for saying that kind of stuff. Who do you think you are? Calling God your father. Mm. The most most opposition you're going to come up against is going to be religious people. When you start to raise your level of revelation and begin to say what God says about you, religious spirits are going to rise up and come against that. Why? Because if you ever start to believe it, the devil's in trouble. Mm. The Holy Spirit predominantly was given to us to lead and guide us into all truth. Through Christ, we are one with him. We are sons of God. But the Holy Spirit comes to make it real to us. Oh, man. Well, I thought the Holy Spirit was here to get on my case. No, 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 no. <laughs> Listen, your own conscience tells you when you're doing wrong. Hmm. <laughs> you know say, well, I just don't know. You know. <laughs> you know. But the Holy Spirit's one sitting there going, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. And when, you ha- when something happens in your life and you go, well, God did that. God, so somebody says, well, God did that to you. The Holy Spirit's going, that's not who he is. That's not who he is. That's not who he is. That's not who you are. Oh, man. The Holy Spirit bears witness. This is the way it says it in Romans 8. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's why when you're born again, you know it. Because the Holy Spirit's bearing witness to it. You're like, I'm a son of God. (laughs) I am a son of the Most High God. I may not understand it, but He's my Father. He's my true Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Number three, he redeemed our inheritance. What did Adam lose? He lost his innocence. He lost his identity. He lost his inheritance. What did our kinsman redeemer redeem to us? Our innocence, our identity, our inheritance. You can't partake of your inheritance until you know who you are. These are in order. Innocence leads to identity. It leads to inheritance. Listen, we don't get from God by earning. We get it by inheritance. Everything that we get from God comes by way of inheritance. Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we're his We can access everything our Father has. For we are heirs of God through Jesus the Messiah. Romans 8 says that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Joint heirs don't split the inheritance. They share the inheritance. That means everything that He is and everything that He has now belongs to you because you are one spirit with Christ. You are identified with Him. You are a son of 
of God and you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. That means everything. Listen, and so many religious people think, well, we're going to get our inheritance when we go to heaven, when I die, or when Jesus comes and splits the sky, I'm going to get my inheritance. But listen, you don't get your inheritance when you die. You get your inheritance when the person who left it for you dies. And I'm telling you, when Jesus died on the cross, he was buried and he was raised again. Our inheritance was released to us as the people of God. We are no longer slaves to Satan. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to our flesh. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are the redeemed sons of God in the earth and we have the right to be partakers. Right to have be partakers of all that He is and all that He has. It already belongs to us. What is our inheritance? It is the kingdom of God prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. It's your purpose to have dominion on the earth. It's your purpose to reign as a king in life over the devil and over his dominion. The Bible says He delivered us. From the authority of darkness and he transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. That means we're free from the effects of sin. Death has no dominion over you any longer. When I'm talking about death, I'm not talking about the finality of physical death. I'm talking about addiction, disorders, diseases, sickness, worry, fear, distraction. I'm talking about all the effects that came to the human experience because of sin. You have dominion over them now through your relationship with Jesus Christ. Stand on your feet. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. What do you want me to do with that? That's what I hear. What do you want me to do with that? What do you want me to do with that? Set aside every distraction. I hear, the, I hear this. Lay aside every weight and the sin of unbelief that so easily sets you, that besets you. And run. Oh. Run with endurance the race set before you, looking unto Jesus. You can only look unto Jesus if you're running towards Him. Oh man, I just see this. If you're running, if you're looking at Jesus, that's because you're running towards Him. In other words, don't run from God. Run to God. I hear the Father say, don't run from me. Run to me. I am your answer. I'm everything you need. And my hands are open. Look at this. This is God's disposition towards you. Open hands. Open arms. Open to his heart. The enemy wants to cause you to run from God. See him in the wrong way. I'm telling you. That his disposition towards you. Is the same as his disposition toward Jesus. What do you want me to do with that? I exhort you to get in the Word. Find out what belongs to you. First of all, find out who you are. Go in the Scriptures and find 
allow the, the Bible to be a love letter to you that begins to unveil everything that God intended for you to be and everything that he made you to be in the Son. And then begin to, to search out and discover. Here, here's what it is. Discovering who you are and discovering what you have and discovering how to use it. That's what it is. It's all, in, it's all in the Word. As we unveil Jesus, we see what He did for us to make us innocent. We see what He did for us so that we could be identified with Him. And we see what He did for us so that we could have the inheritance, that we could share the inheritance with Him. By the Spirit, we've received the life of God. Discover that. Begin to get in agreement with God about it. Quit fighting and arguing with him. If he says it, come into agreement with it. Dare to say about yourself what God says about you. Because it's the truth. Encourage yourself in the Lord. And then just walk in what he's already provided. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Oh, we give you praise, Lord. Thank you so much, Father God, for the blood of Jesus. Oh, thank you so much, Father God, for the blood of Jesus, for the finished work of the cross. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Father God, that you redeemed us fully through your Son, through his work, that we are freed. We are no longer slaves to Satan, slaves to sin, but we are redeemed sons. We are free. We are liberated, and we are partakers of the very inheritance of everything that you have, that we can partake of your life today. Father God, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And if there's anybody here this morning that you have never, listen, that you have never confessed Jesus as the Lord of your life, the price for your soul is too high. You can't pay it. Nobody else can pay it. Here's the good news. Jesus already paid it. I just say, come claim your inheritance this morning. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, Come, as soon as this service is over, we're going to have ministers up here. Come claim your inheritance. It already has your name on it. Jesus already died for it. He already provided it. Come and claim it. Listen, if you're an heir of an inheritance here on, your, on earth, if a family member passes, leaves you an inheritance, it belongs to you, but you've still got to come and lay claim to it. But it's still just as much yours before you lay claim as it was before. Come claim it. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's, that's the second step in your inheritance. Yes. Hallelujah. And I'm not going to explain all that. Come get it. You want some? Come get you some. <laughs> If you're sick in body, if you're struggling with addiction or some disorder or something, come up. Get free. 
Lay that down and take what God provided for you. So as the ministers come, don't leave struggling. These people, come on up. These people are representatives of the heavenly kingdom, anointed with the ability of God to come into agreement with you and help you lay claim to what already belongs to you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Can you give the Lord a shout of praise in this place? Father, you're worthy. You're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.